Any guesses? You know who it is? Albert Einstein. Everybody knows who Albert Einstein is. Einstein. What is Albert Einstein famous for? Equals MC squared. Everybody knows that. Theory of relativity, right? Equals MC squared. Do you know what he won his Nobel Prize for? It was, what'd you say? It was not E equals MC squared. He, he, he won, nope, he won a 1921 Nobel Prize for discovering the photoelectric effect. I don't know. It's the idea that if you, if you transmit a, a, at least as much as my tiny little brain can handle, um, it's the idea that if you, if you focus a certain amount, type of light onto, let's say, a piece of metal with an electron in it, and you hit it just right, you can cause that electron to actually leave the metal. And it's called a, what's a electrophoton, or I don't know. It's science-y. And, <laughs> and he won a Nobel Prize for it, so I assume it's good, right? We assume it's a wonderful thing. But Albert Einstein, wise guy, Estimated IQ of somewhere around 160, right? Amazing capacity to learn and to process and to understand concepts that admittedly are far beyond anything I could even possibly imagine. But I want to tell you a story about Albert Einstein. Albert was asked by a student one day, put up that question, he said, Dr. Einstein, how many feet are there in a mile? Now, before you hit the button, how many feet are there in a mile? 5,280. A whole lot of you knew that. I have known that for 39 years for some strange reason. Not really. I have no idea how long, but I've known it forever, and I don't know why, right? It just popped into your head. So 5,280 feet. They asked him that. Here's his response. I don't know. And the student was perplexed. He's like, here's this man with an IQ of 160 who's won a Nobel Prize, who has all this ability, right, to solve some of the greatest mysteries of the universe, who has this passion, this desire to dig into deep things that really, really matter, right? And he asks a simple question that clearly half the audience in here already knew the answer to, and he says, I don't know. The student said, well, how could you not know that? And here was his answer. Push the button. I don't know. Yeah, that was his answer. I make it a It's on. I unmuted it. I don't know what I did. I must have muted it. It's my fault. All right. It's, of course it's my fault. We just discussed this this morning. I said it's been off twice. It's been my fault. It's not going to be my fault this morning. It's my fault. Okay. So, baby steps. Thank you. I appreciate that. Baby steps. We're going to get back to that in a minute. So, anyways, for those of you who don't know anything about anything, this is your excuse. Right? Einstein doesn't know this list of simple things because he's chosen, and that needs to be my answer from here on out. I have chosen not to clutter my mind with simple things that I can look up, in my case, on Google in five minutes. 
right, or 20 seconds, right? I've chosen not to learn those things. Albert Einstein, on one, one hand, we can say what a remarkable mind he had, but I think one of the most incredible things about the way he looked at the world and the way he managed his mind, clearly choosing not to remember things, right, because they, they were irrelevant to him, was that he had a very specific idea of what was important to him and what he was going to be passionate about, and that's what he put everything he had into. He did not allow those other things that can distract us, because I don't know about you, but I have a whole host of things floating around my, in my mind that I really would call useless information. Let's give you some idea into, the, into my mind how it works. Um, what's the only king in a deck of cards without a mustache? Aha, uh-huh, king of hearts is the only one without a mustache. Uh-huh, right. Say, uh, think about this. When's the first time the letter A is used in a number, if you're writing out the numbers, the name of the number? A thousand. A thousand. There are no letter A's between one and 999. Uh, How many states have a one-syllable name? Maine. Good job. That's the only one, just Maine. That's the only one. Fun fact, because you know I'm all about fun facts. Did you know that cats cannot taste sweet things? Really? Really? What else? Something I learned the other day that will probably, unfortunately, stick in my head forever. Did you know that Skippy Peanut Butter is named after a cartoon character from the 1930s? Right? Mind-blowing facts and information. Oh, the one I asked my wife the other day. Um, ready for this one? Who has the highest kill count? That means killed the most people of any Disney character. Right? Any guesses? Any guesses? No. Mickey, <laughs> Mickey Mouse. The answer... The answer is Mulan. The answer is Mulan, right? Because the story is, let's defeat the Huns. And what does she do? She drops an avalanche on the Huns and takes out 2,000 of them all at once. Highest kill count. Okay. This is the information that you're going to walk away from this sermon remembering that you probably shouldn't because it's the information that I will walk away remembering because this is information I carried in with me. These are the kinds of things that just float around in my head. What are some silly things you know that you just, you have no idea how you learned it, why you know it, or that has no value at all? Or is that too long a list to even tap into? Anybody else got any strange fun facts they feel like the whole world should know? No? Uh, Brittany, I knew you weren't going to leave me hanging. What do you got? So, 
They'll be confused. And you've learned this where? TikTok. Okay. TikTok. Oh my goodness. There is a year's worth of you of video uploaded to YouTube every hour. That's is that helpful information to anybody else here? Nope. And the truth is, the truth is, none of the things I listed to you, except if you're having some odd conversation while you're trying to trick somebody, right? Which king only? Ha- which king doesn't have a mustache? You're probably never going to use that in a conversation again. Or maybe you are. Some of you are. Some of you went. I'm writing that one down. I'm making mental note. But Einstein would have said, these are stupid things. These are useless things. Why would I spend the time and the energy to even bother to consider them? Why would I talk about them? And it's because he really believed that some things were more important to remember than others. And some things had value, and there's so much other things in our world that we think they have value. We think we tie purpose and meaning to them. But at the end of the day, they're really, they don't mean anything. Nothing. R.C. Sproul says we're supposed to have that same kind of compassion or passion towards God. It says we, as followers of Christ, we are called to have a similar passion to know God, to recognize that there are more important things in the world than all the other trivial things that we fill our minds with, and that knowing God is chief among those things. And yet I would say... If I had to stop and go, how many facts or things or pieces of information have I learned about God in my life, and how many have I learned that really have no value, no purpose, no anything, I would say the scales weigh heavily in the wrong direction. And so I think that's a twofold problem, the first of which is there's, we, we serve an infinite God, <laughs> and there is an infinite amount to know about Him. You will never know everything. And we, we, we have a certain comfort in knowing certain things, right? If we understand something completely, it makes us feel comfortable with it and about it. God, I have to tell you, is one of those things that you will never know everything about because he's too big for that. And on the one hand, that's terrifying, but on the other, that should excite the daylights out of you because he will never, 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 be something that you can own, control, fully understand or manipulate because he is too big for that. He will also be something that you will never run out of opportunities to learn about, to grow in, to experience more, to understand better, to see. It is a a lifelong journey, a process of, of discovering new and incredible things. I have to tell you, every time I read this book that some people would call silly, it's new every time. It's new every time. I can read the same set of Scripture 47,000 times over, and it will hit me differently at a different stage in my life or a different time in my life. Something that really, as I read it the first time, meant nothing to me could, six months later, I could go, oh my goodness, that that is the wisdom of God opening up in front of me. Because he is an infinite God, but he is a God worth understanding far more than many of the other things that we consider to be important to understand. 
Jesus said we should have this kind of passion. It's in, in Matthew 5, 6. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the things of God, for they will be filled. This hunger and thirst, that's, those are words that aren't meant to mean passing fancy, right? They're not meant to mean one in a list of facts or two in a list of facts. They're meant to be the thing that you are pining for, that you desire more than anything else, that you need more than anything else, because we do need to be filled. But we have to hunger and thirst for those things that are truly going to fill us. I love Chinese food, and I can eat the daylights out of it, but an hour after I eat it, guess what? I'm hungry again. God desires for us to be filled with the things of Him, with His righteousness, His love, His strength, understanding who He is, and not spending our time learning about all these other things that are just Chinese food that are going to leave you empty in an hour anyways. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3. He says, not that I have already reached the goal, because remember, lifelong journey, right? We're growing together. Or, or I am already perfect, but I make every effort, there it is, every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. It's understanding that I have been, been given the greatest gift I could ever possibly be given, that I've been put in the palms of, of Jesus' hands, and he's holding me, and he's monitoring me, and he's watching me, and he's carrying me when I need it. And so I make every effort, every effort to take hold of just trying to grasp that, just trying to understand that basic thing that, that amazing act of salvation, that amazing thing that Jesus did to bring us to him, just understanding that, right? And then he says, brothers and sisters, I, I do not consider myself to have taken a hold of it. He doesn't even feel like he's gotten there yet, right? But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Do you, do you sense his words here? It's the same as Jesus. It's this, this hunger, this thirst, this passion, this ongoing engagement and growth and pursuit. I love that word. It is a pursuit of the Lord himself. And I have to tell you, though, sometimes I have trouble pursuing. Sometimes I, 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 I run out of steam in the pursuit. Sometimes I don't know what to do next in the pursuit. And so I allow those trivial things to sidetrack me. Anybody else feel that way? I allow that, that knowledge that doesn't mean anything or a skill that really doesn't mean anything or a job that really is, is a job. It, it pays the bills. That's great, but it's not my identity, Right? Your career is what you're paid for. Your purpose is what you're made for. I've said that many times because I stole it from Howard Hendricks, and it's brilliant. And because it, tries to, it helps keep me centered on what matters. It's not a job. It's not facts. It's not wealth. It's not any of those things, and yet we pursue them. But do we hunger and thirst for the things of God? Do we just pursue Him as our goal, the prize that he has laid out before us, because that is grander and greater than anything else we could ever possibly imagine. 
And so last week we started this series called What's Next? Where we, last week we, hopefully, the discussion was you meet Jesus, right? And you find this, this renewal in Jesus. We talked about Jericho and the need to take steps, right? They walked around Jericho for seven days before something finally happened. They walked in the same steps seven days in a row. They did this, what seemed like a trivial task and a task that would get nothing done in any other world. If you want to take down a wall, what do you do? You get out a hammer or you blow it up, right? You knock it over. And he says, walk around and wait, I'll do it. It's got to seem counterproductive, but there are steps that we have to take if we want to grow in our faith and grow in knowing the Lord. The reality, reality is that this renewal that we find in Jesus is really just the beginning of our relationship with our infinite God. It's the very beginning of your relationship with Him. Next week is uh, Baptism Sunday. We've already got a few people that are, that are excited about being baptized next week and are ready to go. And if you'd like to join, would love to have you. <laughs> But, but, I, but I want them and, and all of us to understand that, 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 that act, that step is an important step, but it is just one of many steps to come, many glorious, incredible steps to come. It's not an end-all, be-all. It's not a moment where I'm there, I'm good, it's stopped, I've done it, check the box, I understand it completely, I can file it away with everything else that I know and have done. And so often I think we get there, even with our faith. We file it away in a box, and we say, okay, that's part of me, just like knowing how many feet are in a mile, just like knowing there's only one state with one syllable, and it really shouldn't be. So my goal this week is very simple, again with the phrase of what's next. Um, it's to discuss and highlight some of the things that God, we believe God has called this church to do and opportunities for you to grow in your faith. I don't want it to sound like a sales pitch because it's not. But I think so often we, we miss out on so many different things. I don't know if you know how much is going on here or how much is available to you here or how much we want to help you take those steps to move forward in pursuing that God our infinite Lord and our infinite Savior and our powerful Master because the truth is we can get sidetracked really easily. We can stop taking the steps that we need to take. And so we're going to take a look at a piece of Scripture. We're going to look at John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. We're going to work through it in sections today, and as we get to the end of each section, little piece, we're going to stop and we're going to spend a minute kind of highlighting some things that... that we hope to help you engage with. You don't have to, you don't have to do it the way I'm suggesting or the, the things that, that we're offering, but I want you to know that, that we are a body of believers that I hope is about encouraging one another along this walk and along this path. And I want you to know there are next steps. The steps are everywhere. The question is, are we willing to take them? Because at the end of the day, I hope at the end of this discussion today, no one can tell me I don't know what my next step is. I really hope it's, I know what it is, now I have to find the courage to take it because that's another step. That's a whole other challenge, okay? So let's go through this. It says, 
John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3a, it says this, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Jesus had, by the way, died, right? Been resurrected from the dead at this point in the story. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. I'm going fishing. You have just watched the Savior be hung on a cross, died, right? Resurrected, seen him, in, seen him walking the earth, and you and your friends who have witnessed all of this do what? They go back to fishing. <laughs> They go back to what they were doing before they had seen the Lord do these incredible things and experienced that. How often do we take a step with the Lord and then immediately go back to what we were doing before? It's a challenge. It's a challenge. If you choose to be baptized, your life should be different the next day. It should not be, oh, good. I checked it off a list. I can go back to doing and being exactly what I did before. I come to church on Sunday and get convicted of the things that God wants me to do and see, and I get passionate. I go, great, I've been convicted. That's awesome. That's wonderful. And then I go to work on Monday, and I'm exactly what I was before. It's exactly what the disciples did. They witnessed the Lord do something incredible in their life. And then when the moment was over, they went back to what they knew. They went back to what they did before. They forgot what they'd been called to. Can that happen to me? Can it happen to you? I don't know. My guess would be yes. My guess would be We've all experienced it, or many of us have experienced it. You've had a moment where the Lord has convicted you or pushed you to a a new place in your relationship with Him, and you look up two days later, and you're back where you were before. Happens with teenagers in camp every year, right? They go to this place where they experience God, and they have this, this passionate connection, right? And they come back on fire, ready to just run through brick walls for the Lord. But a few weeks later, that fades, and they're back to where they were. This is a lesson on a mistake we shouldn't make. If the Lord has lifted you and pushed you forward into something new, His intent was not for you to go back to what you were before. That was not His intent at all. And so, what are some of the things that that we are going to be doing in the next year? Well, well, uh, there's a couple up here I want to give you just ideas. The first is this. We're doing a series of classes this year called Connect. There's Connect to God, Connect to Freedom, Connect to Purpose, and Connect to Family. And we'll get to all of them. But the the first one is Connect to God. The first one's January 19th. It's in a couple of weeks. It's on the church calendar. You can go online and sign up if you want or call the office and sign up. And it's really about developing a deeper connection with the Lord. Whether you know Him, we're going to discuss some basics in this class, basics on salvation and baptism and 
pursuit of God and understanding what that means, but if you've already made some of those choices and you've lost track of what it looks like to grow in your relationship with God or you just don't know what that means, also would be a good place for you as we try to help you reconnect with the things of God and learn to connect with Him more deeply through His Word, through prayer, through discussions with others, how we come to grow in our connection to Him. Because remember, it's a lifelong pursuit. January 19th through February 2nd, I'm super excited about this. We're doing a series in church and in Sunday school called What is Brethren? Because how many of you are sitting here and you know it says it above the door, but you have really no idea what that, how that makes us any different than anybody else? Right? I get asked it all the time. So if we're all following Jesus, how come there's so many different churches? Lots of reasons. We can go into that. But what I want us to help us understand if we're growing in our walk with God and growing with one another, we need to understand what this calling is that we've been called to. What does this expression look like? Does it make it better or worse than any other? Not necessarily, but it is where we are. And it's a step in growing in your faith. So Dr. Stouffer, if you know him, Dale, he's been a teacher at Ashland for, since Methuselah was a baby, pretty sure. Um, He's a historian, a a talented and gifted teacher and related to a few people in the audience, right? More than a few. He's going to come speak. Jason Barnhart is going to speak in the final week. I don't know if you've met him or not. Passionate, on fire, loves the Lord. We'll talk about what your witness means, why it matters, that we have a unique witness that we can bring to the world, a unique perspective on who our God is. I would encourage you, if, you, if you're not used to coming to Sunday school, to come to Sunday school for those three weeks. All of our teachers, I've talked to them. They're going to suspend their classes. We're all going to meet in here. We're going to have some in-depth discussions and Q&As, and then we'll have it during the sermon as well. We'll have another discussion. I would encourage you, steps to grow. So, let's keep moving here. So, we, we pursue the new. Don't go back to the old. That was the first lesson we learn. These are new things for some, and and I hope an opportunity for you. If it doesn't fit you, I hope we'll get to you in a minute. The next next scripture is 21 verses 3b through 4. It says, we're coming with you, they told him. They got out and they got, they, they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak comes, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Our lesson here is to take others too, because those you touch will go wherever you take them. In this case, Peter said, I'm going back fishing. And the guy said, guess what? I'm going fishing too. Is that where they should have been going though? What if his brothers had had the courage to say, really, should you be going back to fishing, Peter? Or shouldn't we be going to figure out what God wants us to do next? What if they'd had the courage to do that? What if they'd had the courage or the wherewithal to say to themselves, you know what, that is not what God is calling us to. And I need to tell you that, Peter, so let's go pursue the things that God is calling us to. He's not calling us to go back to where we were. Do we do that for each other? When we see somebody else stumble and fall, 
or go back to what was? Do we have the courage to say to them, I don't think you need to do that. How about if I help you go the right way? Or do we just say, oh, I'll go with you too? My fear is that more often than not, we do. We just let it pass. We let them fall back into what they were doing. Or we go, sometimes we go with them. Get in the sense that this scripture is lessons on things not to do as a follower of Christ. So, there, if I could go back in my lifetime to multiple times where I've said to myself, if I just would have said something, I could have changed a perception. I could have changed somebody's direction. I could have, if I just had the courage to look at a friend and say, no, you should not go rob a bank. You should not go break into a bunch of stores and steal things. And I didn't have the courage to say that. And jail's a horrible place. But he was my friend. Should I have said something? I pray that we will be courageous enough to do that with one another in our walks with the Lord. That we will be courageous enough to say something to one another because if I love you, I will tell you, right? Does it mean I'm going to tickle your ear and tell you exactly what you want to hear? <laughs> I hope it means I'm going to tell you the truth. In love, I'm not going to throw rocks at you and tell you you stink, fix it or else. That's called being a hypocrite and just plain mean, right? But I should be able to tell you truth in love. And so what, what kinds of things are we doing as a church to help you connect with that? Well, first is, is life group leader training. We would love to have people start life groups. You say, what is a life group, Rob? Glad you asked. A life group is a collection of people who are walking together in each other's lives of faith. What does that look like? Well, for some, it's going to mean meeting every week. Some, it's going to be meeting a couple times a month. Some, it's going to be Facebooking back and forth a thousand times a day or texting. I would call Greg's group a life group right now. Because if you've seen their text chains, back and forth, back and forth, encouraging one another. That's a great word. Hey, this is what I think. This is what this is about. I wouldn't call that a life group because you are encouraging one another in your faith, trying to help each other grow. It's going to look different for everybody. Are you afraid to start a life group? Maybe. That seems to be a common problem. So in February, I'm going to talk about life group training. It's a three-week training that we will just spend a little time each week kind of learning some of the basics. So if your excuse is, I don't know how to start a life group, guess what? We're going to fix that. And then in April, we do a Connect with Family. It's one of our Connect classes. One might call this a membership class. But this is a better understanding of who we are and how we are to function together. Am I losing y'all? Trying to keep you with me. It's, it seems dry just telling you stuff we're doing, but... I really, I think it matters or I wouldn't take the time to do it. I wouldn't take the time to stop and tell you everything that, that the Lord has us doing that we would love for you to be involved in because God is calling us to help one another grow. So let's go to the next sections, John 21, 5 through 7. Heed his words. It says, friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? 
rhetorical question. I think he already knew that, right? No, they answered. Imagine that. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. And so they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one that Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the ocean. It's interesting to me, this story always interests me, that Jesus asked them to do something so simple. What did he ask him to do? Move the net to the other side of the boat. Now, if I'm one of the disciples, not knowing this is the Lord... Because it says they didn't know it was Jesus. And some random guy screams at me and goes, hey, you need to move the net to the other side. It'll change everything. And I'm a career fisherman because Peter and his, and his brothers are. They're career fishermen. What is my immediate response? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's the raspberry. You have no idea what you're telling me to do. Have you ever seen a movie called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Okay. You've never seen it? That's okay. You probably shouldn't. But it's an older movie, and these two guys, John Candy and Steve Martin, are driving down the wrong side of the interstate. And there are people yelling at them, going, you're on the wrong side. You're on the wrong side. You're going to kill somebody. Stop it. And they're all looking at him like, you're crazy. You've been drinking too much. What's wrong with you? And they're the ones on the wrong side of the road. How often do we do that? We just blow off. We blow off each other. We blow off the advice of the Lord saying, that doesn't apply to me right now. I'm, I, don't, I don't need to hear that right now. I've got my life under control. Jesus asks us to do some very, very simple things that have major impact, and we so often refuse to do them because we think either, one, we've tried this before and it won't work, or two, I know better. I'm not made for that. That's not my skill set. I can't do that. I'm going to embarrass somebody right now. Um, Jennifer got up here this morning right, and spoke oh, to open service. I've been asking Jennifer to do that for six months. I am so proud of her for being willing to do that because can I just tell you, that is not her wheelhouse. It terrifies her. And yet, she got up here and she fought through the microphones not working and me telling her she didn't have to do anything, which I thought, my fault. I didn't, didn't think I had to tell her to pick up the mic. My bad, right? And things not working the way they needed to, and she fought through it, and she did it because, I don't know, she's crazy. But I am so proud of her and her willingness. To, she's not even in here, is she? Oh, good. Whoo! All right. So I am so proud of her for stepping out on that limb and doing something that is not in her wheelhouse. Not at all in her wheelhouse. How often when, when, when somebody asks you to do something or the Holy Spirit moves you or urges you to do something and you say to yourself, that's not my wheelhouse, I can't do that, I'm not going to do that. And you know, you know you're being urged for very good reasons. 
And it's not because you can't, it's because you won't. You won't. It is not the same thing. We like to lean on won't and call it can't. It's not true. It's just won't. And so, so what are some simple things that Jesus would ask us to do? Well, the first one we talked about the other day was, is Baptism Sunday is coming up here next week. We're going to baptize some people. And you say, well, okay. If I had a nickel for every person who said, I do not want to be in front of everybody getting baptized, right? I'm so embarrassed. I don't want to do that. I don't want anybody to see this. Really? And how many of them it causes them not to do it just because they're afraid of that? It keeps them from it. Isn't that crazy? Something so simple that he, was at, he would ask us to do that honestly most of us get in a bathtub every day, right? Right? You're even fully clothed in this one, right? He's asking you to do something so very, very simple, and yet we would let our fear say, I'm not going to get wet. I am not going to do that. Why? It's because we think we know better. Or because we've, we, we are allowing our fears to overcome us. The other one that that really gets us with is telling someone. Telling someone who your Savior is. Spreading the gospel is the hardest thing for most Christians to do. Even if they love the Lord and they know the Lord. Why? Why do you think that is? Rejection? Judgment? Sorry? We're not perfect. We're not perfect. Ooh, you think somebody's going to yell at you and say, well, you're not perfect? What do you do if somebody says that? Well, you're right, and that's why I need Jesus. <laughs> okay? Ooh, fear. There it is, fear of being asked questions that you don't know the answer to. Now, can we go back to the beginning, rewind on this one? How big is our God? infinite. Will you ever know everything there is to know about him? Nope. Should you have to answer every question? No. I tell people this all the time because Jesus did it. When, when the Pharisees would ask Jesus really stupid questions or questions that were not anywhere near what their actual goals were, he would do one of two things. One, he would rephrase it because he knows things, right? And says, no, 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 you're really asking me this. Or he would just blow them off and refuse to answer it. If somebody's trying to bait you into an argument by asking you questions you cannot answer, they're just trying to do that. They're not trying to learn. They're trying to bait you into an argument. They're more, more interested in proving themselves right than listening to what you have to say. You don't have to answer every question. You don't have to take every fight. But Jesus asked us to do something really simple, because it is really simple. It's to say to those we love, or those we meet, have you met my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? At most, six words. And yet six words that we so struggle to say to people. Okay, nine words, my bad. Nine words that we struggle to say to people, and yet such a simple thing that Jesus asks us to do. And so... You can go to our website or you can sit with me and talk with me or you can look at some of our written materials in the back uh, that are all about creating an easy way to tell people about Jesus, to making it part of a conversation. 
by starting them to ask them, what can I pray for you about? That's simple, right? How can I help you? Because unless I'm mistaken, Jesus has helped most of us here, yeah? Amen. Yeah? That's all you're saying is, how can I help you too? There's no reason for us to be afraid of telling people about the Lord, especially not in our country, okay? How many countries is the gospel illegal in, do you know? Haven't you seen the t-shirt? These words are illegal in 53 countries? You could, be, you could be killed for mentioning the Lord in 53 countries. If you mention the Lord here, you get looked at funny. What are the chances you're going to be immediately killed? Pretty slim. We're in a pretty good place. We really should have the courage to tell others who our Savior is. is it, a, it is a simple thing and also revealing because the truth is we tell people about the things we're passionate about. We tell people about the things that are important to us. If we went to a new restaurant and we loved it, how many people do you tell? Everybody. Our studies used to show when I was in the business that a happy person tells 10 people. An unhappy person tells 100. Because <laughs> that's human nature. Okay? But if you're excited about the Lord, if He really is your Savior, aren't you going to tell people? So, heed his words. See his provision is our next one. It says in verses 8 and 9, it says, Since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in a boat. Remember, Peter dove into the water, right? Dragging the net full of fish. And when they got, this is interesting to me, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Jesus said, bring your fish, catch your fish. But then when they got there, dinner was already ready. The plate was already made. They did exactly what he asked them to do. And when they arrived on land, it was already there. Interesting in our walk with the Lord that sometimes we aren't willing to go that hundred yards to land until we're sure dinner is going to be ready. Until we're sure the answer is there and, the, and that we're not going to re- get rejected or the problem is going to get resolved or we're going to help somebody come to know the Lord or we're going to be able to speak into their life and they're not going to yell at me for it. We want to wait and make sure dinner's ready. And God says you have to come first. And when you get here, guess what? Dinner will be ready. Dinner will be ready. God is constantly providing for us. In a class that Nita is going to teach next month, it's called Connect to Freedom, is what we're calling it. It's about connecting to the Holy Spirit. Because when God left, when Jesus ascended onto heaven, he said he was going to leave behind something better than him. Right? He was going to provide for a way for us that was better than him. And that is his Holy Spirit. And yet, he is so often forgotten as one of the Lord's greatest provisions for us. That if we reach out to Him, if we trust Him, if we believe that He will be there, guess what? He will be there because the table is already set. Dinner is already made. The fire is already started and the fish is already already cooked. He is waiting for you to come to Him, but you have to choose to do that. 
We also have challenges with our provisions. Sometimes we feel like we're running out of money or money's too tight. I want you to know that our website has a list of ideas on how to manage your money in the way God would have you manage it. So if you're having financial issues, please take a look at that. Please glance at it. They're all based on biblical teachings and there are wonderful opportunities for you to improve and grow so that you recognize that God does provide. It's there. We just miss it sometimes. Next, verses 10 through 14, or 10 through 12. I'm sorry, 10 through 11. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said, told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was still not torn. So Jesus has already prepared for them. Jesus has already made dinner for them. Jesus is already ready to serve them, provided for them. And yet, yet he says, bring what you have caught as well. Bring what I gave you. Because remember, how'd they catch the fish? He told them to change the side of the boat they were chucking the net onto. A simple thing. And he says, when you recognize that, when you bring in that haul, bring it with you too. Bring it to dinner too. Bring it to the table. It's a gift from God, and he has said, once you've got this gift from me, use it, bring it to the party. I said before, sometimes we say, no, we're not going to do it because we don't want to, but oftentimes we have gifts that the Lord has given us that we don't put to work for the things that matter. I would, I would say that God worked really hard on me for years before I was willing to do that. I'm pretty, pretty good with people as a general rule, right? I can talk to just about anybody about just about anything, and I don't scare, I'm not too scary, am I? I don't think. I'm pretty, yeah, John, <laughs> we're going to talk later. I'm kidding. Um, I'm pretty good with people as a general rule. I use that in my work life for decades and would not use it in the kingdom of God. Why? Because I was afraid he's going to make me do something with it. <laughs> I was afraid he was going to make me do something with it. And guess what? He did! And I wouldn't trade it for the world! I would not trade it for the world that he has allowed me. It went from my thought was he's going to make me do something with it to now I'm so excited that he allows me to do something with it. Because remember, in this story, he didn't need the fish. He'd already made dinner. The fish was there. He had it prepared. He said, bring it anyways. Bring what I have gifted you. Bring it anyhow. Because when we bring it, we have an opportunity to be a part of what he is doing. God has gifted you to relate to people. Or God has gifted you with a gift for numbers. Or God has gifted you with a gift of music. I was mesmerized by your fingers this morning flying back and forth. And I know there's multiple people that do that. Just this morning, it hit me hard. I'm sitting here and watching her fingers just fly, and I'm like, that is amazing, right? I couldn't do that on my best day ever. <laughs> but God has given you a gift of some sort. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's singing. Maybe, who knows what that might be? Maybe it's reaching out to people. Maybe it is telling somebody who our Savior is. Use it. There are thousand different ways we can get you involved my wife is the 
leader of the guest experience team. So I know for a fact there are 42 million ways we can get you involved with the guest experience team. Right? We can get you involved with the worship team. We're, we're splitting up and building two worship teams now, right? Did you all know that? Didn't now you do. Because we saw so, or Nancy is, is spearheading it, saw so many people that had greater opportunities to get them involved, right? To get those gifts involved. If you are good at cooking, the fellowship team could use your help, right, Joe? Yes. If you're good at planning a party, they could use your help. They would love to have your input. They would love to have you volunteer to do something. Even if you think it's minuscule and small and worthless, guess what? It is so not. If you have an opportunity to be a, a spearhead of mission, part of the missions committee, or start a men's ministry, which I've already asked somebody to do, or be a part of a young adults ministry, which I've already asked somebody to do, this might be a hint at the two of you I've asked to do that. I'm not even going to make eye contact because I don't want to guilt you. But God has given you a gift and given you an opportunity, and I would love for you to do that because it's a chance to, to use the gifts he's given you to do something incredible for the things of God. Yes, if you allow him to use your gifts, he will ask something from you. But you will never regret it. And it will never fall short. With me? We're also doing a class here in March called uh, Connect to Purpose. It's really a spiritual gifting time. We're going to spend some time going through and taking some surveys and doing some praying and working together to try to figure out where you're gifted at if you don't know what your gifts are, and then trying to help you figure out how to plug them in, how to use them, how to do something with them that will benefit you and the kingdom of God all at the same time. It's amazing how that works with Jesus. We hope you will connect with those things. And then finally, in, the, in our text today, hunger for his presence. We talked about it at the beginning, right? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Well, this is John saying, using Jesus' words, says, come and have breakfast. Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They didn't a minute ago, but now they do, right? Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Now, this was the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. It's interesting. When he calls them back to him, he calls them back to something very simple. Let's sit down and have a meal together. Let's just be together. Let's just be in each other's presence. That seems like a simple thing, doesn't it? A meal dinner. He didn't immediately grab them and say, let's run off and bring 15,000 people back to life, because he could have. He says, let's just have dinner together. There's something powerful about presence. We, um, in case you don't know, um, one of our cats passed away a couple weeks ago. And so we were down to one cat, and then some kid in this church 
kept saying, you know, my cousin's got a cat. My cousin's got a kitten. My cousin's got a kitten. Well, guess what showed up at my house the other day? There's a kitten at my house now. So we've got, I know. Its name is still no, Stella. But it's still no, because I kept saying, no, still no. My answer's still no. Guess what? Cat's at the house. I, I lost, okay? But as we're trying to help her acclimate to the house, and by the way, her and the other cat, all they do is chase each other around the house and play. They're having a blast. So they have figured out their relationship. So no more dramatic stories about cats trying to take each other out. Rats. They get along now. So, but one of the things we've learned about Stella is that if you're just sitting on, a, on the couch quietly watching TV or reading a book, Stella will jump up and just sit next to you. Now, if you try to grab her, what happens? She's gone. She's gone. She's like, mm-mm, I ain't having none of that. Right? But presence has a powerful comforting effect on that cat. Just your willingness to just be there, right? Can I just tell you that we deny ourselves that comfort and that peace that comes with being in the presence of God if we're not just willing to come sit with Him? Because He invited those people to just do that, to just go sit on the edge of a lake, because the Sea of Tiberias is a big fat lake, to sit on the edge of a lake and eat fish over a fire and just be with him. Just be with him. And I think we miss that. It's easy for me to miss it. In the, in the busyness of, of getting things ready and making phone calls and 400 emails and writing this letter and that letter and this plan and that plan and this meeting and that meeting, it's really easy for me to forget not to just stop and be in his presence. He has given us this incredible gift. It's called the Word of God. This simple little book full of words that has a new message in it every time you read it. That if you're willing to just sit with him every day and just be in his presence, he will take care of the rest but you have to be willing to do that. And as we learn from Einstein, you have to be passionate about the things that matter or you don't get to where you want to go. If you're not passionate about your relationship with God, if you're not hungering and thirsting for being in His presence, it will never be what you hope it will be. Because God is not just some other fact or some other piece of your life. He is everything. He is the beginning and the end. He is your savior. He is your comforter. He is your advisor. And he's the very source of life. And my hope is that this year will be a year of next steps for us. It will be a year, that is our vision for the year, is that it will be a year of next steps where we are taking steps forward in our faith. Wherever you are 
in this journey. My hope is that somewhere you saw something in here that you said, you know what, I can take that step. I can do that better. I can engage with that more. Whether you've known the Lord for 10 days or 50 years, it's a step. It's a journey. And there are lots of them to take and they are exciting and they open new doors with each and every one. But you gotta be willing to walk through the doorway. believe I am done. So a couple of things um, before we move into our prayer time. Um, there is a, if you're a member of the congregation, uh, there's a congregational business meeting right after this. Very short, we hope, um, unless there's a lot of questions, which there may be. We're going to go back over um, some uh, questions about the parsonage and, and, a, and a, a, a project to um, basically waterproof my basement <laughs> um, so the walls don't crumble in and, we, and the mold goes away. Um, and, and that requires congregational approval. We'll go over that in a minute. Should be really short. Um, if you're not a member and you just want to watch, you're welcome to, just to see kind of how we do things. But it'll be right here in the sanctuary. It'll be very fast, we hope. Um, if not, then it's not, and we'll move on from there. But that's our hope. Uh, what else? I think, I think that is all I have for today. I have a letter that I will read next week uh, from WRE. Was it, was it supposed to be today? I'd have to go find it. Do you have it on your phone? If you have it on your phone, then throw it at me because I don't have it with me. And, I, and, I, and I'd like to read it. Does everybody know what's been going on with WRE? Yeah? For those of you who don't know, it's weekday religious education. It's a ministry. Oh, she's got it written down. It's a ministry. We have some WRE teachers. Can you tell? Okay. All right. So this is, this is from the board of WRE, and it says this. We are thankful for the longstanding, steadfast support of this community for Logan County WRE. As the Bell Fountain Examiner recently reported, the Freedom From Religion Foundation has alleged a constitutional violation. We take this matter very seriously and are taking more steps to carefully review the situation and our response. More importantly, our priority is the long-term stability and success of our released time programs. That's the opportunity where kids can, their parents can choose to allow them. That's really important to understand. Their parents choose to allow them to come hear the word of God, okay? Time programs. To give us time to position the program towards achieving that vision, starting immediately, the Logan County WRE has voluntarily put our weekday religious ed classes on a temporary hiatus. So they've stopped teaching for a moment. Hold on. I want to emphasize that this is temporary and that we will be restarting the classes as soon as our leadership determines that the program is ready for its relaunch. We have asked for your continued committed support and your steadfast prayers for wisdom, direction, and for God's will to be clear, and that we clearly follow it. Pray for God's fervor as we are exploring new strategies and opportunities that will set up the WRE program for long-term stability and success. Pray for the students. Please pray for the students. Pray for wisdom and for understanding for school officials. Pray that God shapes us into a program that is stronger and better 
able to serve the students of our community for years and decades to come. Any further questions may be directed to the Logan County WRE Board President, Rob Cummins. If you would like his phone number, it's right here. I don't want to read it off. Um, but WRE is, is an, an amazing ministry. And, and what I will tell you is, as much as it saddens me to hear that they have to take a hiatus, because it does, I, I will tell you there's hearing the inner workings, the things that are not in this letter, it's because they have a plan that they believe that nobody can assail. Does that make sense? There are people coming out of the woodwork that are willing to let them use properties outside the school system right next to each school. Um, some of them I know it's about getting power hooked up, right? It's about getting electricity hooked up. So they're building custom spaces for people. And we've got to figure out how to get the kids over there, and we're committed to do that. Okay? Um, God is continuing to provide, but that doesn't mean we don't need prayer because Satan is pushing hard. Okay? So please, please, if they are not part of your prayer list, please add them because look around. Our kids need to hear about who our God is. Amen? Amen. Okay. Okay. Time of prayer. We close each of our services with a, a time of prayer where we, we just take a minute to kind of read off some of the things that have been brought forward to us by members of the body or maybe about a member or about a friend or about somebody who is in just in dire need. Uh, some of them are celebrations of God's good work. Let's take, a time, let's take some time to pray together. Uh, Diane Hickey has brought us a prayer about Jim Hickey's dad. Uh, he is on his way to get to see him right now, right? Or should be there. Should be there right now. Uh, he's been in the hospital since January 1st uh, with kidney and bladder infections. It's really hard on him because he's just kind of almost beaten this cancer thing, and now he's back. He can, it's a roller coaster that none of us want to be on. And he really needs prayers for not just his body, but for his, his spirituality too. He's my understanding is he's in a deep place right now, and he's a little angry, probably at God, I would imagine. Um, many of us have been there, so please, please pray for them. Chuck Gamble has asked for prayers for his wife. For, that's a good job, husband. Well done for his wife, Diane Gamble. She has an appointment about her foot surgery, right? And we're going to pray that he says, oh, I can fix that easy, right? That's what we're praying for. Holly has asked for prayers for the troops. We want them to come home. That is especially poignant right now given this week's events. We have, we have friends that are on the other side of the country right now that have suddenly started, to, or other side of the world, that have suddenly started to have to wear body armor in their bases. Um, please, please pray for them. She's also asked for prayers for young Daryl and his pancreatic cancer. Um, he has tests coming up this week that we hope will yield good results. Susan Bechtel has asked for prayers, ongoing prayers for Elisa Valenga. Uh, pray for, uh, she had tests this week. We pray for good results and we pray for, and healing for her brain and lung cancer. Keith Reefstall, I saw him at Green Hills the other day. He is up and walking around and looking amazing and, and angry and wants to get out, which is a good sign, right? Uh, so you should, if you have opportunity to go see him, please do. Notice he is down about, I don't know, 60 pounds from where the last time you probably saw him. But he has made immense progress. Please, he would love to have visitors. 
He would love to have visitors. And Deb could use a break because, anyways, I'm kidding. I love Keith to death. All right. Jessica Hudson and Thursa Porter are both battling illnesses right now. They're not able to be here today. Jessica's been kind of fighting an ongoing kind of illness thing where it just kind of comes and goes, that roller coaster. Please pray for them to heal, continue to heal. Are there any other prayers? Kim. My mother, Peggy Geist. Peggy Geist. She has double pneumonia. Okay. She's also septic. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious. So, not good. Septic is not a good thing. Yes. They're in Florida, your uncle and your aunt Terry, and your brother and his family, too. Okay. They're in, got it. Yes, Ray Jackson. The 16th. Pray on the 16th of January. Yeah. You'd be praying fervently, right? I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's his family's business, their dairy farm. It's a livelihood. It is. It would change their life one way or the other. So please pray for them. Any others? Yes, Mark. What's his name? Brian Shulaw. Brian a friend of Mark's that passed away last night. Yeah, he's been on kidney dialysis for years. Okay. His sugar was really high, so they put him in, induced him into a coma and cooled him off to get the sugar down. But sure. His, his body just shut down. And a couple of days ago, his wife found out that he, she's got aggressive breast cancer. Oh, no. Do you have any children? Yeah. Okay. So uh, his friend passed away, and his wife has breast cancer, aggressive breast cancer. Uh, please pray for her family and for the children. Mark Shulaw. Brian Shulaw. Brian Shulaw. Brian Shulaw. Please pray for them and for his family. Are there any others? All right, well, let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for you, for your faithfulness, for your strength and for your mercy in the midst of what can be a tumultuous world. Lord God, I, I pray that we will heed your words to pursue you, to grow in you, to recognize that there are always opportunities to grow in our wisdom and knowledge and comfort in you, strength in you. I pray that we will uh, be able to speak into one another's lives as you direct that we will help each other grow toward knowing you. Father God, we are mindful of those who are on our minds today that we have offered up prayers for and continue to offer up prayers of healing for. We pray that you will give them strength, give, your, give their families strength, and that you will give us opportunities to speak peace into their lives. Father God, what an amazing Lord you are. What a wonderful picture you paint for us of 
what life with you and knowing you is really about. I pray that as we move through this year in particular, we will have the courage to take those next steps to fulfill the vision that you have laid out for us as individuals and as a body of believers. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your strength and the unending grace of your son. We lift up today also WRE, as we mentioned. We, will, that we, we, we anticipate you doing a miraculous thing. And we ask for strength for the board to, to see your vision and your path for them and continued strength for the school boards to do what is, well, what is right for their kids and not let outside forces convince them otherwise. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day, and I pray that you will give us all opportunity to meet again. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.